to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. I'm Craig. Today we decided to uh, do another Jim Wynorski film. I treated Craig to Shopping Mall the last <laughs> time we uh, dove into this man's ouvoir. Right. And uh, I thought I would treat him to what is actually, I have to admit, one of my all-time favorite horror movies. Really? Yes. Uh, Sorority House Massacre 2. Now... We did uh, Pet Cemetery, uh-huh. and you have fond memories of Pet Cemetery. Right, it's right. Linked with your childhood. Sure. So, picture, if you will, a uh, teenage boy. <laughs> I was going to say, did you first see this when you were about 12, 13? Yeah. <laughs> the, the age is very important. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> teenage boy uh, with his friends, and we would get together for what we called stupid movie nights. Uh-huh. Uh, and we've talked about this before yeah. about how cool it is to walk through the old video stores and just look at the covers of things and rent them just based on the descriptions on the back and the ghoulish or weird uh, pictures on the front. Uh That was our tradition, basically, in high school. Friday nights, uh, me and a couple of our friends would get together and we'd go out and rent these films. Now, remember, and it's not hard to go back to these times when you didn't have... The internet. Right. You couldn't go to IMDb (laughs) and see what other people thought of these films. You had no idea. So we rented what we thought was going to be a pretty straightforward horror film called Sorority House Massacre 2. And we watched it and we were totally shocked all the way through. (laughs) Not only did it turn out to be the perfect stupid movie night movie, because the best stupid movie night movies are the movies you can make fun of. Right. But by the end of it, you realized... Oh, they're in on the joke, too. (laughs) It's not a totally incompetent film. It's really trying to be what it is. Uh, It's almost not accidentally what it is, in in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And again, this is back in a time before these self-aware, ironic horror films that we get that are just part and parcel of right now. So maybe through the lens of today... Uh, this film wouldn't give me such joy <laughs> as it has given me throughout the years. So I have to preface all that with that in mind, because uh, you gave me a look once I said <laughs> this is one of my all-time favorites. But I get a, such a guilty pleasure from watching this movie, just the same way I get guilty pleasures from watching Godzilla or, or something like that. It's, it's not because it's a well-made film. It's because it's a film that tickles a certain place in my heart. Gotcha. Does that make sense? It does make sense. You know, I have movies like that, too, that, you know, looking back, I know that they're not good movies, but I still, you know, there's a, I have a fondness for them for nostalgic purposes or reasons or whatever. And I can definitely see why a group of 14-year-old boys (laughs) would would really enjoy this movie. (laughs) Less so my cup of tea, but um, I, I, I can, I can, I can see that. Well, I've I've revealed my love for Jim Wynorski, and it always has to come with sort of a a caveat, a little asterisk by it, because he's a very prolific filmmaker in the low-budget film Uh realm. I talked about him maybe a little bit when we were talking about Chopping Mall, but for those who might not have heard that episode, this guy grew up loving these, much like me, just loving and and appreciating and enjoying these low-budget horror films of the 50s and 60s, particularly the ones that Roger Corman did. Mm Mm-hmm. And his dream, basically, was to work for Roger Corman, and by gosh, he did it. Mm -hmm. So he came in a little later to the game, about late 80s to early 90s. His first film for Roger Corman's pictures uh, was Not of This Earth, which was a remake of one of Roger Corman's earlier films from the 50s, but 
uh, starring Tracy Lords. Oh. The very first uh, non-pornographic, legitimate film role that Tracy Lords had was in Jim Wynorski's film, Not of This Earth. So... Uh, and that's not a bad movie. It's a little more straight than this is, but because it's a low budget film, it shows uh, it's a little you know it's a little right, ragged around right. the edges. But it's very typical of Roger Film's output from the late '80s to early '90s, as is this movie. Um, so it was produced by Corman. Corman gave a start to a lot of famous people. Um, the list is just enormous. Uh, you know, from Jack Nicholson to Ron Howard to Jim um, James Cameron. All wow. these people got their start in Roger Corman's shop, cranking out these movies. So uh, he ends up writing this horror script for this movie, Sorority House Massacre Two, which, by the way, has absolutely nothing to do with Sorority House Massacre One. <laughs> So why okay, do you know so why did they title it that? I, I, Is it just being ironic? Was it trying to I, trying to I don't know. I, I don't know if there was a fan base for part one. I, I honestly don't know that either. Um there's probably an answer out there if you look online. Um, my guess is that again, though, Sorority House Massacre One maybe came out a year or two before this, mm-hmm. was moderately successful, and so uh they just because you can use a title yeah. without permission, uh, they just threw a two on it. Kind of piggybacks. But yeah, this has nothing to do. If you watch Sorority House Massacre 1, I believe I saw it a while back. It was totally forgettable, but I couldn't even recall the plot to you. Mm. It has nothing to do with this movie. Interestingly enough, though, uh, this movie does have some flashback scenes in them. Right. And the flashback scenes are not from Sorority House Massacre 1. They're from a movie, which is interesting in its own right, called Slumber Party Massacre. Uh And there is a Slumber Party Massacre series with the Driller Killer. And I think the, the third one is really out there. It's got a guy with a guitar. He's like a dead goth kind of rocker guy, ghost thing that has a drill at the end of his guitar. And <laughs> I don't know. You might have seen the cover for it. because it was know. Oh, it's an insane movie. But the Sorority House uh, Slumber Party Massacre 1 was written by the famous feminist author Rita Mae Brown. You're kidding. I am not kidding you. So... It's interesting. Uh, you know, you should look up the history for that film as well. It's interesting that this feminist author would write this film, which is basically about a bunch of women in various states of unrest uh-huh. getting killed. And, and then that, they must have gotten the rights to it. That's all I can say, uh-huh. uh, to the footage, and it must have been pretty cheap. They used that instead of filming their own flashback footage. Well, and it's funny because it's obvious because as as this guy is like giving the backstory of this house, these uh, five sorority girls buy this old kind of rundown mansion and they're going to make it their sorority house and they get in there, it's all dilapidated or whatever and then this creepy neighbor shows up, uh, Orville Ketchum, and he's this big, fat... I hate to judge people based on their appearance, but he's a gross-looking guy, yeah. like all pockmarked and sweaty, and got a big flannel shirt on. Doesn't right. take care of himself, yeah, like slack-jawed, like he's always got his mouth hanging open. And of course, they are scared by him. Um, but he comes in and he tells them this whole story about what had happened in this house five years ago, which is why it was so cheap, and they were able to get it. They were all kind of aware that these murders had happened, but they only one of them, the one who secured the house, knew that this was the actual house. And um, Ketchum comes over and tells them the whole story, and that's when the flashback happens. Mm-hmm. But you can tell that the narrative that he's telling doesn't match up with the flashbacks. <laughs> like right. he says something like, First he killed his wife, and it's obviously like a co ed, you know, like a 20 something girl. Then he's like, And then he killed his daughters. Again, more co eds, exactly the same age as the girl who was supposed to be the mom. And it's just like, yeah. I, I guess it, it fits well enough, like if you really care, but uh, it's it's clear that. 
the the images you're seeing and the narrative he's telling are not one and the same. Yeah, <clears throat> it, it, and it's funny. And the girls, even from the beginning, I think, are acting is clearly not good. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's bad. There's not a good, honestly, there's not a good actor in this whole film. No. They're all delivering their lines. And it's, the script itself is a little silly too. Yeah. Uh, much like Chopping Mall, it has a lot of jokes deliberately written in. Most of them are corny. Very corny. <laughs> and and the delivery makes it even more corny because it's not well acted. And so it just seems like really forced, poor acting that's laughable. I mean, you, yeah. you, you literally laugh out loud. It's so, it's so goofy. Yeah, the jokes are goofy, then the laughing is goofy on top. Like they're reading them off of title cards or something yeah. on the side, right? Yeah, I don't remember. There are some. <laughs> like um, in the beginning, they're like, "See, the movers aren't coming till six a.m. in the morning. Same time, the phone and the electric people are coming. Oh, come on, it'll be fun. Whoopee! Oh, just like camping out, only without all the bugs. <gasps> I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, come on, girls. Look what we have here. We have like peanut butter, we have crackers, and we even have popcorn." <laughs> just the, the silliest delivery of lines that oh it's 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 funny <clears throat> yeah it, even before all this it starts off with like a little mini flashback scene uh-huh. where the girls sitting cowering in the corner um linda i believe who's the australian woman i think at least that's what her accent seems yeah, to be sounds like it uh, you've got to try to remember try to remember uh, and then we get these girls, of course, coming up to the house with all the crazy dialogue. We have uh, Jess, Jessica, who's the tallest of the group. Mm-hmm. She's played by Melissa Moore. Now, if you're familiar with films of this era, and if you watched a lot of USA Up All Night, uh-huh. probably, a lot of these kinds of films would come across. And Melissa Moore is kind of a, a standby in this arena. A, a bit of a scream queen from the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, she looked kind of familiar. I mean, and, and maybe she was just recognizable because she is so tall, especially against some of these other girls. Like, she kind of looms over them. She did. You know, I I feel like she did, like you said, a bunch of those movies where it's cheerleaders with big boobs mm-hmm. and, you know. That. Exactly. <clears throat> Moderately attractive. Um, not a knockout, but but a cute girl. Well, all these girls look like lingerie models. Yes. I mean, they've all, they've all got you know, great big boobs, like huge boobs. <laughs> Whether they're real or not. Right. Some are clearly real, some are clearly not. You right. get to see them all. Oh, all of them. <laughs> yeah, there's a segment, you know, after they decide that they're going to stay, they hold a seance uh, to try to contact the the killer from before. His name was, what was his name? Clive Hockstetter. Clive Hockstetter. A name right. you hear a lot in this film. Oh, yeah, they say it like every two seconds. <laughs> I can't believe I couldn't remember. Um, but they try to have a seance, which lasts all of about 20 seconds, but it's like when they say they want to try to contact him, the planchette or whatever it is, shoots off the board and into the fire. And they all scream, and Janie, the girl who found the house, was like, oh, their lightning must have hit the house and caused a big power surge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and they're all like, oh, yeah, well, anyway. Right. And then after that, there's probably a good at least five minutes montage of them just getting undressed, <laughs> taking showers, <laughs> you know. This is charming point number one of this film for me, because I feel like this movie is a distillation of... All the movies like it. Uh It took all the movies like it and really brought it down to its core. It included all the necessary items and made no bones about it. Right. It it wears its heart on its sleeve. And that is what I find so charming about this movie. Of course, you have to have the nudity, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of sprinkling the nudity throughout the movie or giving really good reasons for it, it's just all in a lineup. All in a row. Yeah. Scene one, girls taking a really long shower. Uh, <laughs> she's 
She's like very sensuously like rubbing the soap like over her nipples. Like. But even even still, there are these squeaking noises yeah. put in. Like the soap is squeaking over her skin, and I mean, they're so funny. It is funny, and there were silly little sound bites like that throughout like at one point one of the girls little redhead girl is um rubbing uh linda's i uh, no excuse me janie's back oh yeah. and you hear like <laughs> you hear like this big crack like it sounds like somebody like broke a huge stick in half and the and the girl is getting the back rubs like ah oh, that was the spot <laughs> <laughs> like just the silliest sound effects that don't make any sense that were clearly put in in post Oh, oh silly. Yeah. it was silly. Uh, and it was funny during that scene with the, with them all, you know, taking their clothes off, getting in the shower, whatever. Usually in this type of movie, there's one girl who doesn't. Yes. You, know, you know what I'm saying? Yes. There's usually one girl who is the modest one or who's nice or who you know is going to be the final girl. So she's not going to be the one who shows her boobs. Yeah. Not here. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Every single one of them, you get nice. Good look at their movies. Well, if you're familiar with Jim Wynorski's stuff, you can tell that he's way more interested in the TNA yeah. than almost anything else. Well, and the stuff that he makes now, or it at least is, some of it, is like softcore porn, right? It, it really is, and, and that's actually kind of sad. Uh, I think you look at some of his earlier movies like this, and they have this charm about them, even though they're a little silly. There's kind of an innocence to them, in a way. There's a lot of nudity, but there's no sex. Right. Uh, and it's also. So I like like it just so obviously is made to appeal to teenage boys. Yeah, but but really no more. You know right. what I mean? Uh, it's it's really zeroed in on that target market because this is not something that a, a, a you know like a heterosexual adult male uh, in his in our, our age or whatever right. is really going to uh, get off on. You right. Know what I mean? Well, that's the thing. You know, it was a different time. We grew up in the eighties and. We didn't have the internet, so like that's true. You know, this, this, I, I remember, you know, staying up late, and it would be one of those things. Like, not only did you get to see boobies, but it was like you were doing something naughty that your yeah. parents didn't know about, and you were getting away with it. Forbidden. We weren't as exposed to as much graphic content as far as nudity and sex is concerned. I mean, um, I'm there are times when I kind of thank God I'm not a parent because I can't imagine to what lengths you would have to oh go to to protect your children from seeing things that they shouldn't be seeing. It's got. It's a whole new world, man. It's yeah. got to be totally impossible. So I, I feel like this is kind of from a bygone era where they were kind of supplying a demand. Yeah. You know, that people want to see boobies. Let's give them some boobies. Well, and yeah, and just taking your top off could sell a film. Yeah. You know, you would watch a movie like this just because, hey, the prospect of a, a few girls are going to get naked. Uh-huh. You know, it's not going to be graphic. I'm not going to see sex or whatever, but I'm going to see some boobs. And then right. Some squeaky clean boobs. Yeah. <laughs> And then, not only do they all shower and, like, get dressed, but it's fun. They're, like, in this rundown. I mean, it's not that rundown, but it's dirty and, like, nobody's been in there for five years. There's cobwebs all over. They don't have any, like, beds or anything to sleep on. But when they get ready for the nighttime in bed, they all put on, like, their finest lingerie. (laughs) Like, G-strings and uh, I don't even know. It's the the most uncomfortable looking stuff. Like, uh, yeah, like lingerie models. And then, right, and then they just run around that for the whole rest of the movie. <laughs> like, it's nothing. I'm pretty sure that women don't actually do this when they have sleepovers. That would be my guess. But uh, not according to this film. <laughs> it's, it's all thongs and G-strings. And Well, uh, and this is what, you know, every adolescent boy wants to believe that oh, girls yeah, do with right? sleepovers. You, the only thing it was missing was a pillow, pillow fight. fight. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for it. <laughs> That's 
if the only flaw in this movie for me is is the lack of I, right and I or, or maybe a little girl on girl kissing or right. something like a little that curious uh, right and I, I almost thought we were going to get that at the back rubbing with scene with the massage mm-hmm. right <laughs> but oh, I guess no. that was good enough well that one takes a turn for the worse it sets up our very first conflict for, for the movie right uh, and that is a uh, a very uh, awkwardly forced conflict where the girl giving the back rub who is Suzanne uh, is giving the back rub to Janie. Suzanne is talking about some boy. I believe it was uh, oh, oh Janie's like where did you learn to give these back rubs? Uh-huh. And Suzanne oh a little something that I picked up from uh, Billy McGuire. <laughs> she's like Billy McGuire? Well Billy McGuire and I kind of have a thing. I'm just like oh you don't have an exclusive on Billy McGuire. <laughs> She gets up and runs out and storms up. I think I'm going to go downstairs and have a drink. <laughs> and the other girl's like, what did I do? <laughs> terrible dialogue. It's so, really funny. So after being introduced to Orville Ketchum and uh, him menacingly kind of looking in from across the street, and we had even a shot of him uh, eating raw meat. From yeah, a, he's totally gross a and a bowl. creeper. Yeah. And, and then there's also this totally pointless side plot where there's <laughs> <clears throat> there's a cop and it doesn't even make any sense. No. He says he says you're just introduced out of nowhere to this cop and his partner, Mike and Phyllis or something yeah, like Mike that. Mike and Phyllis. And they are like they're headed somewhere, but then they get stopped because it's storming and it's raining, and I guess like the road is out or the, something. The one road that leads to the Hoxtetter place apparently right. has too much rain on it. And he <laughs> says when he's explaining it, when Mike is explaining it to Phyllis, he's like That address you got tonight? From dispatch? Sixty-nine thirty-four Langdon. But wait, you're not telling me that... Afraid I am. It's the old Hockstetter place. But Hockstetter's dead. Well, he is. But there was another guy. A neighbor. Doesn't make any sense. No. Nobody called him from there. They don't even have a phone. The phone is out. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> um, and then so, like, they investigate throughout. And he says, the cops say, and I say throughout, they have maybe, I don't know, four, four scenes. Yeah. Maybe. And they're really brief. Maybe three, actually. And totally inconsequential. But he says something about, I always thought that Ketchum guy was in on it, too. It's it's almost like they're trying really, really hard to get us to think that it's him, when it's obviously not. Like, you yeah. know, like, they're they're trying to make him out to be so menacing that there's no way it's going to end up being him. Right. right, it would be too obvious. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and their acting is even worse, I think. Yeah. Actually, the girls sort of look like Academy Award winning material. Uh, <laughs> Compared to uh, poor Phyllis and Mike. Yeah. And Phyllis cannot deliver a line to save her life in this movie. (laughs) It's so horrible. Uh, You're right. This side plot is totally goofy. I I know it's got to be just to pat out the running time. It had to be. And to set up the ending. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was the only reason. But there's nothing suspenseful about it. No. Uh, and, And so what's weird about it is then that Mike decides that he's going to go on like a second investigation of this crime that happened because he has a bad feeling, uh-huh. but they can't reach the house. He's going to go to a strip club, <laughs> which I've never been to a strip club. If they're anything like this, I don't want to go. <laughs> like, it's got to be the skeeziest. <laughs> it's like all these, it looked like they just like went to a truck stop and was like, <laughs> do you want to come to a free strip show? <laughs> okay. For a movie. And all these guys who clearly, probably have never acted a day in their life and they're just acting so goofy and this poor girl on stage is dancing and 
Oh God, she's not even a good. She's not even a good stripper. No, she's not. <laughs> she hardly even takes off her clothes. Oh yeah, we see the other girl's boobs way more than we see the stripper's boobs. Yeah, um, but it's funny. It's like I, I guess apparently she was one of the only survivors from the original massacre, <laughs> and so he goes there. He goes, of course, to the strip club where she works. Uh, as she's performing um, to just, talk I, to her. I guess just in case there's something that she didn't reveal way back when they investigated this case. Right. But there's not. <laughs> like, so <laughs> so the, whole, the whole scene is completely pointless. There's no purpose to it whatsoever. Oh, thank you, Candy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you get a, bunch, a couple of jokes in, uh, and really the point was to show four more boobs. Mm-hmm. That was really the whole reason. Yeah, if you get Candy, and then you, you were telling me something about... The the other one, like their their yeah. their main stripper, Satana McVixen, <laughs> uh, was their headliner. What were you saying about? She's her? maybe the only uh, fair. I mean, recognizable is kind of silly, but uh, the only name in this film. She was a porn star uh, from the eighties. Her name was Savannah. And she has a very brief, I mean, yeah. she just kind of comes Came on, out. takes her top off, spins around a little bit, and then she's just in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think this might be her only legitimate film role. And sadly, around this time period, maybe even shortly after this movie came out, she c- killed herself. She committed uh-huh. suicide. too bad. Yeah, so she's probably the only name in this film, uh, if you could call it that. Uh, yeah, so it's just, it's just a bizarre subplot that really yeah. is transparently silly and yeah. horrible. And you said to set up the end, but it really didn't even need to. I mean, no, the, 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 the cop comes in at the end, but yeah. if, if we had never seen him before, he would have just been it wouldn't have some mattered. cop. Right. It yeah. wouldn't have mattered. You're right. <laughs> he has no uh, bearing on the plot at all. So uh, Janie uh, goes downstairs, and she's drinking her tequila, and as she... Well, she takes, like, six shots of tequila. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, my God, if I drank that much tequila that fast, first of all, I would puke all over everything, and secondly, I'd be drunk off my ass. Yeah. Well, she did take a good five minutes of on-screen time to drink <laughs> lots of tequila, too. Just leaning up and looking left and right, leaning up and looking left and right, looking left and right, uh-huh. taking another swig. It's like, get on with whatever <laughs> is supposed to happen in this scene. And, uh... A gloved black hand with a hook and clearly a, a hooded uh, face. Uh, yeah. Wrapped up like a ninja. Mm-hmm. Uh, reaches over the counter behind her and pulls her down. And then you see, which is going to be a common theme in this film, uh, this shadow of a hook mm-hmm. on the wall mm-hmm. come down and blood squirt all over the, the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And of course the noise... And the guilt, uh, apparently Suzanne's guilt of uh, sending Jamie off. She decides to get up out of bed go downstairs and can't find her. Not only can she not find her, but the blood's totally clean. Yeah, this is five seconds later. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, immediately after this girl gets killed, the other girl comes down to look for her and she's looking around. Blood, we had just seen blood spray all over the walls. Now they're as clean as can be. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. No. <laughs> like, if there was some... Sig- I don't know. I mean, later on, kind of the twist, I guess, that you see coming 400 miles away. Um, the twist is that there is some supernatural things going on. So I guess maybe the supernatural housekeeper came over or something. I don't know. but It's a very tidy ghost. It's, yeah, it's silly. Well, it's tidy in some ways and, and doesn't care in other ways, mm-hmm. apparently. <laughs> yeah, so she goes upstairs and uh, meets up with the other girls. And uh, where is where is Janie? Oh, I don't know. I, she went downstairs. I looked all over. Yeah. <laughs> All over the kitchen. All over the kitchen. Didn't find her, so came back upstairs. This this house that is so large that they decide to split up. Right. Um, of course they do. To go hunt it down. Uh, she apparently felt like peering in the kitchen was enough to warrant uh, further massive investigation right. by the rest of the girls. 
And so, so a couple of them go upstairs or stay upstairs. Mm-hmm. A couple of them go downstairs. The ones that are downstairs split up. Um, one goes to the basement. Right. And then I think the next one, a couple of the girls, they meet back up upstairs. The two that were looking around upstairs and they see one door that they hadn't checked and it ends up being the attic. Oh, right? that's right. One of them is it. It's Suzanne, right? Goes up. She says, "I'll I'll go up and check here." And the uh, another one, gosh, says, Kim, "Oh, I'll just." I think. Kim yeah. says, "Oh, I'll just go downstairs and see if the other girls have found. Uh, they probably found Janie already, so I'll right. just go downstairs while well, you check out the attic." Right. So Suzanne goes up into the attic and she's looking around and she steps in a bear trap <laughs> because <laughs> there's always bear traps laying around of course. Uh, uh, upstairs in, in an attic. And then she gets killed the same way as, as the first girl did. Yeah. Um, the killer bursts out of what appears to be a closet door in the attic that is has a bunch of stuff piled up of against it. it. Yeah. Weird. Um, it is weird. Uh, there's a lot in this film that... Well, you just don't want to examine it very no. closely. It all completely breaks down. Yeah. There are 15 million different holes in it. There's And there's no point. You, you, no. <laughs> you know, they're not they're not going for some masterpiece of storytelling. <laughs> um, that's right. Yeah. They're, they're, they're clearly not particularly concerned with that. And that's that's fine. Like, you, you know that two minutes in. Yeah. Um, so you just get over it. This wasn't based on the best-selling novel. Right. Sorority House <laughs> Massacre 2. <laughs> So she's dead, and, and the rest of them apparently don't hear her screaming. You know, at times the house uh, is supposed to be rather large, but every other evidence uh, speaks against that to the point where you can't imagine these things would be happening in these different areas right. of the house. But, you know, just go with it. It's pretty par for the course, actually, for mm-hmm. horror films. So uh, they go downstairs, and the rest of the girls decide to try the basement, uh, because I believe it was Kim admits that she was too chicken to check the basement. Right. So they go down to the basement, I believe, and this is where they find uh, both uh, Janie and Suzanne hung from the rafters in a rather humorous scene. Oh, God, it's hilarious. Who's the Australian? What's her name? She was uh, Linda. Linda is, like, kind of just standing in a corner, and you hear, like, a droplet of water or whatever, and it's raining outside, but um, she's like, oh, no, leaks already? And then then she looks up, and blood starts dripping on her face, and we see that the two dead girls are suspended somehow. I couldn't really tell that they're suspended up on the wall or from the ceiling or something. And she just kind of stands there screaming as the blood just kind of splashes right on her for for far too long. For effect. Right. It's funny. They flip out, and so they decide they run upstairs and have this inane conversation in the kitchen. They know that there's a killer around, and it's like they stand around deliberating for a good 30 seconds or more, and it's in this melodramatic... And, like, she finds these right next to each other just laying on the counter, these three, like, nine-inch, <laughs> like, 
kitchen knives and she passes them out to each of the girls and so they each have one of these big huge knives and they're running around in their panties and they run outside into the rain right and who's there but way across the street uh-huh. orville ketchup orville ketchup standing Creepy staring orville menacingly ketchup. And he starts walking towards him, and it's really funny throughout the whole movie. Like every once in a while, we'll get a POV shot from him, and breathe. He, yeah, he's like, <sighs> and, and so he starts walking across the street towards them. But he's like walking at the slowest pace you can possibly imagine, and he walks at that pace throughout the whole thing. It's funny. He must have emphysema or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's the it's not the um, the breathing of a pervert or of a menacing guy. It's the breathing a of really a really fat guy who's really fat yeah. who has a hard time putting one foot in front mm-hmm. of the other. <laughs> and but because apparently he's menacing enough, walking at about a mile an hour across right. the street, they they decide to run back into the house after they deliberate about it again. Oh, of course, because <laughs> there needs to be enough time to get them soaking wet. Yeah, which is my other charm point. I mean, if that is not bald on its face. Uh-huh. Um, Ah, oh, you know, these skimpy offense weren't enough. About halfway through the movie, we're not going to go fully nude, but we're going to get them wet for the rest yeah. of it. So they run inside, and they kind of have a powwow in the, in the living room where they're just sitting back to back. I know, it's very so silly. Um, and, like, eventually, I guess, Ketchum gets to the door, like, he well, gets to the window. Well, a line is in here, which only becomes important later, but at the time seems completely out of left field. How could this have happened? Do you really think there's a demon in the house? <laughs> like, what? Who said anything about a demon? <laughs> Where the heck did that come from? <clears throat> but yeah, Ketchum comes in. Um, and or he tries to get tries in. Tries to get in. He's he banging on the door. Right. The and, only- <laughs> and, you know, we know, and of course, if logical things happen, then the movie would just be over. So logical things can't happen, but... We get the picture. I, I still think that they kind of want us to think that maybe he's in on it or something. Mm-hmm. But it's, it was obvious to me that he was trying to help them. But, of course, he couldn't say, I'm trying to help you. <laughs> <laughs> he just had to stare at them slack-jawed and menacing and then, like, try to beat the door down. Yeah. And I believe uh, apparently the only thing holding the front door together is uh, is just a little chain. Oh, yeah, and this 300-pound guy can't bust it. Break that chain. Oh, man. <laughs> and then they like they hear a sound, and they're like, he's shimmying up the drain pipe. This guy is not going to be shimmying up anything. <laughs> but they have, to so run up, they have to run upstairs to make sure that they latch the window in the attic before he gets up there. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, of course, logic would dictate, well, if he is, in fact, shimmying up the drain pipe, then the front door is clear. Why don't you run out? Uh, so they go upstairs and uh, they lock the windows and have a good look around the attic apparently for the first time or really oh, it's the second time. And then here, okay, I already kind of suspected what was going to happen anyway, especially since like you said there was that flashback scene where the girl and and, and we find out of course that um, um, it's Linda in the flashback and in the flashback in the very beginning, whatever it is, the, the scene that sets oh, it yes. up, uh-huh. she says... Um, I know you're out there. You really hurt me. If there's an ounce of humanity left in you, you've got to remember. You've got to remember. So I kind of figured out what was going on. But then there was kind of a little throwaway line in here where they're looking around and it's like there's like like a sex swing or something. Yeah, it's like a sadomasochistic kind of um, setup. There are pictures on the wall of women in leather and things like that. It was too dark for me to tell, but I could see that there were like leather straps and chains or something like that. There's like a mannequin with nipple rings on it or something. And and, and we make it sound worse than it really was. Uh, honestly, it's it's pretty, pretty vague. But, right. Yeah. 
And then one of them says, oh, uh, old... I always forget his name. Old Hockstetter must have really had a good time jerking off up here or something like that. And Jesse goes, yes, he did. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, weirdo. (laughs) But it pretty much established that I had been right in my suspicions. Yeah, it's real foreshadowing. It's very clever. Yeah. (laughs) Subtle. Yeah, right? (laughs) So, uh... Anyway, uh, Jessica decides to go downstairs. Oh, one, one of, of them gets runs scared. Out. Yeah, yes. it's it's Kim, right? That gets scared and yes. runs out. Runs out, and um, she runs down the stairs and she runs in to catch him. And so she turns around and walks back up the stairs and barricades herself in a room. Meanwhile, bathroom, right? in a bathroom. Um, meanwhile, Linda is still in the attic, but um, Jesse Jesse said, "You stay here. We know it's safe up here. You stay here. I'll go get." The other one. So you see, you know that Ketchum's kind of coming up the stairs behind Kim. She's locked herself in the in the bathroom, and then somebody starts pounding on the door, and somebody breaks through the door, and it's Hook guy. And, and again, this guy, he's like totally in all black, and like his face is covered and everything, but it's clearly not Ketchum. Yeah, I mean Ketchum's this big, huge guy, and whoever this is isn't big and huge. Yeah. Um, and so we don't see it, but. He gets in there and, and kills and her, too. her, yep. So Linda's uh, still upstairs, and who comes up the stairs but Ketchum. Mm-hmm. And so she has this great scene. I actually really like this scene in the movie where she hides, and he comes in, and he's looking around, like, supposedly menacingly, mm-hmm. but uh, and she lunges at him a couple times with a knife in the gut. Oh, yeah, and she, sta- I mean, stabs him. Seriously stabs him. Yeah, the like, knife leaves the, the knife the in hilt. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He falls backwards uh, and lays down. You know, it's that classic, oh, is he dead? So she walks past him and his eyes open and he reaches over to grab her. And so then she, as she's falling, grabs a chain off the wall, comes behind him and strangles him. And you even hear it cracking. Uh-huh. Yeah. The blood's coming out of his mouth. He falls down again. So, okay, she's got him. So she runs downstairs and, of course, all is quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, even uh, Jess is nowhere to be found. Right. And so she's yelling out. Uh, I got him. Uh, everything's okay now. Well, and then here, another totally random thing. The The phone starts ringing. Yeah. What? The phone doesn't work. And so she answers the phone, <laughs> and uh, whoever's on the line is like, Who's this? This is his wife. Will you put Clive on, please? It's not here. It's not here. I'm afraid he is, dear. Hello? Hello? <laughs> and she hangs up the phone. And then she's still calling out for Jess, and she Jess's voice from the basement is like, Linda, come down here. <laughs> um, and so she goes down, and this is when the big, not-at-all-surprising reveal comes. Yes. She goes downstairs, and of course you can tell just from the voice that this something, you know, this is not Jess's normal voice. Right, it's kind this of ethereal. It's weird. <clears throat> Jess comes out of the shadows uh, with a hook in her hand. Now, and she's dressed in men's clothing, and mm-hmm. I feel like she's got her hair kind of pulled back. Yeah, she's kind of manned up just a little bit, although um, she's not wearing black. Mm-mm. She doesn't have black gloves on. Uh, that's one of the weird things about this film. That's one of the, I guess you'd say, shortcuts. If you don't have the money or the imagination to really shoot it in a creative way where you can hide the killer's identity, just throw the killer in all black. Right. And inexplicably, 
the real killer, I guess, changes in and out of it when it suits her. See, and if I were to watch this again, this is one of the things, you know, I, I had figured out already, probably, you know, five, ten minutes before it was revealed that she was the one who was possessed. And, um, you know, we've seen this before. You know, they, mm-hmm. they did they did the seance and the seance went wrong. And so the spirit was able to possess somebody. I mean, it's it's this ending with her. And, and she eventually starts talking in kind of a weird, uh, supernatural, but male-sounding voice. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen the movie Witchboard with Tawny Katane? A long time ago. It's yes. the exact same ending. You know, Tawny Katane is okay. possessed by the the spirit that she fe- that came out of the Ouija board, and um, it's a male spirit, and she's talking in that low voice as she's dressed like a man and trying to kill her boyfriend. That was um, a much better movie, as I remember. Yeah, right. I liked it a lot when I was a kid. I haven't seen it in probably 15 years. Yeah, me neither. That, <clears> was, uh, that was one of those stupid movie nights movies yeah i remember being a little more uh it was a higher caliber and it was actually kind of scary it was it was a little bit it was a little scary yeah for another time anyway yeah (laughs) (laughs) what you don't want to keep talking about this movie (laughs) so yeah yeah you're right and so of course she chases her down and you have the big showdown where they're hacking away at each other um linda runs upstairs she loses the knife at some point uh, but they're in the the living room, and there's the fireplace there. So she grabs one of the pokers, and in a hilariously inept bit of uh, choreography. Yeah, it's terrible. Can't manage to... I mean, she could run at Hockstetter and stab him, but she just sort of stands in place and juts out with the uh, poker, uh, which, of course, Melissa just steps back about a right. half a foot uh, to dodge every time. Oh, the whole fight sequence is just terrible. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't look real at all. It looks like... They, okay, we're going to show you how to do this once, and then we're going to have you do it, and we're just going to use the first take. Yeah. <laughs> However it turns out. <laughs> Even just cutting to close-ups and things just didn't cover it. Right. Yeah, it was bad. But uh, in the midst of this, uh, she falls down on her... Um, oh, she she kind of whacks her. Yeah. Uh, and they kind of whack each other, like they both go down. Mm-hmm. And Jess falls into a pile of boxes in the corner, and... Doing the classic, you should never do this uh, if the, you're in the situation of turning your back mm-hmm. on the killer. Linda crawls across the floor uh, to get to the knife. Uh, when she grabs the knife and turns around, uh, of course, uh, Jess is no longer mm-hmm. there in the boxes. And so she cowers in the corner, and that is our flashback that was from before. Right, right. Um, in the present, of course. So where she says, you've got to remember, you've got to remember. Um, basically saying Jess needs to remember her, her humanity, self. right. Yeah. But uh, out jumps Jess again, uh, saying, no, Jess is gone, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And uh, she's about to raise the hook from what appears to be halfway across the room mm-hmm. <laughs> at Linda when Ketchum suddenly is in the background. And this, you know, even that first time that he kind of woke up after he had been stabbed so many times. <laughs> um, and then... She had um, strangled him. And then I feel like we even missed another one. Oh, she found the dead girl in the bathroom. Oh, that's right. We missed that. Yeah, Linda found the dead girl in the bathroom. And when she found the girl in the bathroom, she wasn't dead yet. She, like, popped up out of the bloody tub and she said the girl's name. Suzanne, right? She says, Suzanne. Um, Oh, Jessica. Jessica, whichever one is the killer. Yes, she, she said her name. Yep, yep, yep. Um, <clears throat> and then the, the, the Ketchum guy shows up in the bathroom, and she kicks the crap out of him again. Knocks him in the nuts, bends him over, whacks him into the the, the, the toilet. Yeah, and like stuffs his face out in the toilet, and you assume he drowned, or is, so, I mean... So this poor guy has been through a lot. He's yeah. been stabbed multiple times. He still has the knife in his gut. He still has the chain around his neck. 
Um, This was supposedly snapped. Right. This was honestly when I really, oh, they are in on it. Uh They know that this is a cheesy, stupid movie. They're doing it on purpose. Mm -hmm. Up until that point, I really kind of thought they were taking themselves seriously and just failing miserably. (laughs) Well, because the rest of the movie just, uh, yeah, is of that caliber. Well, and and it's it's fairly typical slasher fare. It's yes. just low rate. <laughs> yes, it's cut rate, but again, it it knows it is. And yeah, it, and it doesn't seem to mind it. Well, and and it made me appreciate what I had seen before when I figured out that they were in on the joke that this was meant to be a, a cheese ball corn fest throughout the whole thing. Uh huh. <clears throat> yeah, that's good. Yeah. So uh, so. Of course, uh, he is behind uh, Jess just as she's about to um, skewer Linda, apparently. And he says, Hockstetter, uh, let you go one time, but I'm not going to do that. I wasn't man enough the first mm-hmm. time, but I'm not going to make that mistake again. And he pulls the knife out of his own <laughs> stomach and is able to stab uh, Hockstetter, who had been a pretty effective killer up until the point where you get up and close and personal with him in a in a pivotal scene right well and again like he stabs her again it's a huge long knife and, and stabs all the way into her abdomen like twice and like it's she barely even <laughs> flinches like she just kind of stands there while he does it and that had happened earlier too when the girl um stepped into the bear trap she was like ow ow ooh, it hurts like <laughs> Your 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 leg would probably be broken yeah. at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica whacks him with the hook uh, in across the head and knocks him out. Mm-hmm. Um, but as she turns around, uh, Linda is finally able to actually move with her knife and lunges forward. And I guess that's the knife. Oh, into her neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess you got to get her in the neck. Or else, Apparently, uh, yeah. Well, and so she falls over like she's dying, but in the last second she says, Linda, in her normal voice. Which is, I guess, supposed to make you feel sad. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Linda, you killed me. The spirit leaves my body. Um, yeah, and, and w- it was a bit of a Bruce Campbell moment in there, too, where she stabs her in the neck and, like, blood is squirting out of the neck just mm-hmm. all over Linda's face. Yeah, yeah very Sam Raimi for sure. Oh, they lay down uh, together, and Linda sort of passes out, I guess. Uh, The next shot is of morning, and I guess the rain's gone, and the cops Mm -hmm. who, darn it, all night have been been investigating and working their way towards this house. Storm drains must have been doing their job, and so they finally get to the the house and burst open the door. A couple cops with some shotguns, Mm -hmm. and him and uh, the mover, who's like, I got here at 5.30, right? and uh, it was just like this. I didn't touch anything, I swear. Uh, I'm going to be sick. (laughs) And uh, they see all the carnage, and there's a lot of head shaking, like, oh, we knew this was going to happen. But then Linda gets up, like the spirit of Hockstetter has Uh gone and possessed her. Yeah, when the other girl was possessed, you could kind of see it on her face, like they kind of put like some pale makeup, uh, kind of grayish pale so you could tell that she was possessed or whatever and now Linda looks like that too um, one of the cops said isn't this the old Hockstetter place <laughs> and that's when she's like sleeping under a pile of boxes and she gets up and goes it still is <laughs> and then just <laughs> <laughs> and then Ketchum wakes up yeah <laughs> springs to life 
grabs one of the cop's guns and starts shooting, 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 shooting Linda until she falls. Mm-hmm. And then the cop uh, wrestles himself away from Hoxtetter, and the other guy, cops turned him with their shotguns and just blast like four or five holes oh, each yeah, yeah. into this guy. Uh, and he falls down. The detective, uh, Mike, walks over to him and puts a finger to his neck and goes, Get an ambulance. This man is still alive. <laughs> oh, he said, this man's still alive. Well, and then he, he kind of opened his eyes, and I felt like they were kind of trying to suggest that maybe Hoxtetter had jumped into him. Yeah, it He's, seemed like there was a suggestion, right? Because it said yeah. the end with a question mark. With a question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Super funny. Uh, you almost expected to see uh, stars or tweet yeah, birds yeah. spinning around his head mm-hmm. at that point. Um, and and that was, for me anyway, again, uh, not having known anything about this movie going in, not even the plot, imagining we were going to be watching a serious horror film, and not having these ironic kind of not... There wasn't much for horror comedy for us back in the mm-hmm. 80s, you know? There was Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 mm-hmm. kind of filled that void. Um, There's a movie called Student Bodies, which was pretty over-the-top hilarious. Right. Whereas this one doesn't really fit into that category, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, I mean that moment came and for me it was just like mind blown like oh my gosh they've been playing with this this whole yeah. time this movie we thought was really stupid unintentionally is clearly okay with being a silly film and and it is funny and uh, then they do you know like a, a cast montage where they're showing the actors names and whatnot. and some of it is shots from the movie but some of it's kind of the actors kind of wink at the camera and then it says um, it gets to the last guy which is Ketchum and it says and Orville Ketchum at his as himself. That's right. Uh, and then after that first round of credits, after it introduces the main cast, then it cuts to another scene where it's a news reporter who says, "Suspected mass murderer Orville Ketchum was released today from the prison ward of County General Hospital. Despite being apprehended at the scene of last month's brutal slayings of five teenage girls, Ketchum was freed when sheriff's detectives were unable to accumulate enough evidence to prosecute him." And it shows him like sitting in a wheelchair, or something in. in in front of his house again you know just slack jawed um, maybe with a little smile on his face and a big busty nurse just standing behind him with you know like a stripper nurse uniform not like <laughs> like a real nurse and she's waving at the camera and that's the end and so it's obvious that you know it was tongue in cheek all along <laughs> and if you thought any other if you thought otherwise you were duped it's it's pretty funny this this movie apparently did so well for them i don't know if it was a huge blockbuster but apparently it made quite a bit of money uh that roger corman the producer came to jim wynorski and said i want you to do it again and by that he meant i want you to make the same film again (laughs) so he did yeah so there is a movie out there that you could call a spiritual sequel to Mm -hmm. this except it's really more of a remake in a different setting called Hard to Die. Interesting. Which is, a, if you think about it, sort of a flip on Die Hard. Right, Hard right. to Die. And he and does that, this guy does that a lot now, too, like Witches of Breastwick. And yeah, stuff yeah. Stuff like that. Now it's all about sex and boobs mm-hmm. and breasts, whereas before, it was also also about boobs and sex and breasts, but he had a little more interesting right, stuff in right. there. Um, this movie, Hard to Die, is worth checking out, too. If you liked this movie just for the factor that it is exactly the same film. It is follows the same plot. 
the same people die in the same order. It is almost all of the same actors. I think there's one actress that's different. But it is shot on a set. Uh, one of Roger Corman was known for taking films, uh, finishing them early, hanging on to the actors who were still under contract and all the resources that he still had, uh, and quickly whipping, whipping up another movie. Mm-hmm. He made a film, I don't remember the name of it, but it was supposed to be this sort of sex comedy that took place in an office building. Didn't do very well, but he still had the set left over from it. So he said, Jim, that movie worked really well. Why don't you remake it again in this office building set that I have? (laughs) Interesting. So it makes even less sense because at least, oh, we're fixing up a sorority house Uh uh, and the power's not coming on. We just want to have a fun night staying here the night. We're in an office building after hours for no really good reason. (laughs) And we're going to... Oh, and also, conveniently, there's a shower <laughs> in the executive's office that they can still oh, use. Oh, man, that's um, funny. It is so rich. That's hilarious. <laughs> I also have uh, a bit of a uh, confession to make. Um, I'm so enamored with this movie that my writing partner, Dakota, and I uh, were looking for some projects to do. And I thought, you know, it's getting kind of popular with like the Evil Dead musical and things Mm -hmm. to take these old goofy things and turn them into musicals. Mm -hmm. I said, wouldn't it be interesting and fun to make a comedy musical based on Sorority House Massacre 2? So we uh, I emailed Jim Wynorski Mm -hmm. and I said, look, I I work at a college and I have these resources. I have some ins with the theater department there and we're uh, thinking about maybe making a a uh, musical version of Sorority House Massacre 2. Uh, could I do that? Could I have permission? He wrote me back. Wow. And he said, I think you're absolutely insane. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, uh, go ahead, as long as it's right there, you know, just kind of locally, you have my blessing. Uh, just let me know who plays Orville Ketchum. <laughs> Interesting. We never got around to doing it. Um, we wrote a couple songs, uh, and I'm pretty proud of it. In fact, we have the whole treatment down, and I think that's something we'd like to come back to sometimes. So, Jim, if you're listening, <laughs> there's still hope for this. Ironic horror uh, comedies are still a big thing right now. Yeah, I have a lot of fond feelings about this film. Well, that's, and movie. that's cool that you got an opportunity to communicate with him. He's kind of one of your childhood heroes. That's awesome. You know, and I might have mentioned this in the last podcast, but there's a movie out there uh, that's a documentary about him. And it's worth checking out. He comes across as really kind of insane in the film uh, because, again, what he's doing right now is just all getting, you know, former strippers and models and people just parading around in the front of the camera with boobs. And it's he's not doing, even very creative. He's doing some, like, sci-fi movies, right? Like Dino Croc versus, I don't know, yeah, um, or something like that. Cobra Gator, Water Wars, um... Uh, Gila, Piranaconda. Right. I mean, all these are like made for TV, right. made Sci-fi, for DVD right. kind of stuff. One of the things he's apparently he's working on movies now. I mean, if you look at his IMDb page, this guy puts out three or four or five movies oh, a yeah. year. Huge list. They're all pretty crappy, but um, you know, apparently they're filling a void somewhere. Someone's yeah. buying them. Uh, so I can't wait to see the Shark and Saw Women's Prison Massacre, <laughs> uh, which apparently is this year's big you know, wow. sleeper hit. Uh, that we're going to have to look yeah. forward to. But, you know, he comes across uh, as a decent guy. And you can see the passion in him uh, for making films, along with a certain level of frustration, in that you feel like this guy, although he seems to have always been just interested in making goofy, fun, schlocky horror films, is frustrated by the fact that it's nowadays not as easy to sell those as it mm. used to be. 
um, it's harder to make money from these kind of movies yeah. now. And, uh, you know, at that time, as you said earlier, uh, it was just a different market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could get by and you could make, as long as you had the money behind you for the film and the huge resources, uh, you could make kind of a schlocky movie that was fun. You could do what you wanted to do. Right. And make money from it. And now everybody with a video camera could run out and make a reasonable facsimile of a movie like this. Uh, it, it's a much more crowded market and it's, yeah. hard to, it's hard to get the funds for it. So. Right. But the guy's still doing it. Uh, over 25 years in the business. It's it's pretty interesting. Cool. Well, you know, one of the things um, that you had mentioned before we uh, watched the movie was that one of the things that we didn't talk about when we did Chopping Mall was the music. And, and frankly, I don't even really remember what the music in that was like. But because you said that, I was paying attention to the music here. And most of the movie is scored. Mm-hmm. Um, almost all of it. And it's actually a pretty impressive score. Isn't uh, it? Yeah, the music is like surprisingly good for the level of quality of everything else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the beginning, you're treated to an overture, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not one of those where the credits are playing over action or something going. It's credits on a black screen that take a good three minutes, maybe. And in the meantime, you're getting like an overture. Right. And it even has a bit of a Danny Elfman-esque quality. It does. It's almost got kind of a gothic feel, like there's some, maybe some organs or something, I don't remember. And it doesn't feel, in, I mean, it maybe it is in part, I don't know, but it doesn't feel entirely synthetic. I mean, it sounds like pretty quality music. I, w- I was impressed with that. Um, I don't know how impressed I was with the rest of it, but the, the music was good. Well, Chuck Serino is the guy who did the music, and uh, I actually reached out to him, too, thinking that, oh, well, maybe we'll incorporate some themes from right, it into sure. our musical. He never did get back to me. He has a bit of a web presence, but he's a very prolific composer, again, in this genre uh, of these older, low-budget early 90s, late 80s kind of films. And he does a pretty confident job. Um, Chopping Mall was also uh, scored by him. I thought it was pretty decent. But you're right. This movie has a very distinct sound and score. Yeah, I liked it. Impressive. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad that you picked this. You know, I had, you had mentioned it several times. I knew that it was something that you wanted to do eventually. And I was going to... Usually I try not to spoil movies by looking stuff up if I haven't seen them. But this one, I thought, oh, you know, it's just a campy thing. Who cares? So I looked uh, stuff up and I really couldn't find much. You know, there wasn't much to read about it. So I didn't really have any expectations or whatever. And it, it was fun. You know, it's it's campy. It's goofy. But there's a place for that. You know, every yes. once in a while you want something that's just brainless. You know, yes. just brainless fun. Just something to sit back and watch and goof on and laugh and um, I liked it. So I'm, I'm glad you picked it. Yeah, if you're looking for a film to turn on with your friends that you want to just make fun of relentlessly from beginning to end, this is the perfect film for yeah, it. Yeah, it's and funny. Beginning to end. Uh, and, interestingly enough, it's available on YouTube right now. I mean, probably illegally. Somebody uploaded it. But I'm going to go ahead and embed it uh, on the website so that you can go and check it out, too. It's been up for several years, so maybe it'll stay up a little longer. You guys can check it out for yourself and see what you think. Yeah. Thank you again for joining us uh, for another episode. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend. Please like our page on Facebook. You can find this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Let us know what you think. Let us know what other movies you'd like us to see. Until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Ah, ah, ah.